What if there was a place beyond your imagination? And to get there, all you have to do is believe. This is the Polar Express! Come a journey to a world. There is the North Pole. Where dreams become real. I want to believe, but... Believe. Robert Zemeckis, Tom Hanks. I wanted to do that my whole life. The Polar Express. So it begins with this line What if there was a place beyond imagination, and the only thing you had to do is get there was to believe? Sounds very Hollywood, doesn't it? Now, let's just be honest. For some in this room, belief just sort of comes easy. It's natural. It's easy to believe. But for others in this room, we can also be equally as honest. It's not easy to believe. It's a journey all along the way. It's a hard process all along the way. I remember when I was a kid, I was a bonafide Santa fan. Any Santa fans growing up as a kid? Anybody in the room? Um, sure, I grew up knowing the Christmas story. I grew up knowing about the shepherds in the field and, and, and the, uh, you know, the angels and the, the, the star and, of course, the Christ child being born of a virgin, which always kind of threw me for a loop growing up. Didn't quite get all that. But, but I was a bonafide Santa fan. And for us, growing up uh, meant, uh, for, for a Christmas meant Santa and Santa meant stuff, right? And, and so around the week of Thanksgiving, I think, my br- uh, brothers and my sister, we would start collecting catalogs. Anybody remember this? C- catalogs? Now, pause just for a second. For those of you in the room who are, let's say, 30 and under, there was once a world where the internet did not exist. <laughs> and, and so retailers, yeah, and so retailers used to print these giant, massive, thick books, and, 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 and they pictured and they put prices of every single item that they sold, and they would send them to your house. And so around Thanksgiving, we would start to look for these, and we'd gather these up, and of course, we were looking for the Kmart uh, catalog, the JCPenney's, and the Sears catalog, because that's, that had everything you need as a kid, right? And, and for us... Anybody else do this, or is it just me? You, you know exactly what I'm talking about. We, we had this whole system down. So the holy grail of Christmas for us was the Kmart catalog, the Kmart toy catalog, because it possessed every single piece of junk plastic toy that the world had ever produced. And so we would grab that thing, and we would start circling, and we would initial, all four of us would initial uh, our names, you know, right next to all the stuff that we wanted, and we had a number code priority system in place, you know, we used different color inks, and, and it was quite intense, you know, because, uh, you know, you never, you had to have a numbering code system based on desirability factor, because you never quite understood where Santa's finances were at that point in time, right? And, and so we would, we would number all of this stuff off, and... Um, and then when we got uh, through all of that, uh, we, we were hoping that Santa would, would just bring us the right stuff. And, and I would grow up around Christmas time in wonder and amazement. Anybody grow up with wonder and amazement? I, I wondered if I'd get anything and I was amazed when I did, right? Uh, but belief in the almighty Santa was literally everything. Uh, my, my parents used Santa's list-checking abilities and, and veto powers uh, on my brothers and my sister and I all the time. And, and they called it uh, behavioral modification, right? Um, but, but you know how the, the story goes. Uh, when you're young, it's easy to believe. But, but as you get older, you start putting two and two together. And you realize that your house doesn't have a chimney, and you realize that the tags that say from Santa look awfully lot like the tags that say from mom and dad. And somewhere along the line, uh, belief begins to fade. And that's where this story of Polar Express sort of opens up. It begins in the bedroom of an eight-year-old little boy that is in this struggle for belief. Is Santa 
real is what he's asking. And he sort of secretly has concluded that Santa and thus Christmas is one giant hoax. And, and the movie opens with the boy lying quietly in his bed waiting for Santa's arrival. And he is hoping and praying that Santa's real. He's listening closely. He's listening for the deer on the roof. He's listening for the ho, ho, ho. He's listening for the slide down the chimney. And then eventually he hears some disturbance in the house. And he's so excited. And so the little guy gets up and he goes down the flight of stairs only to be greatly disappointed because the cookies that were left out for Santa are left untouched and the fireplace is still blazing with the fire. And the shadow of Santa that was cast on the wall that he was so excited to see, he turns and he realizes it's just his dad wearing a Santa hat. And so he runs back up to his room and he pulls out some newspaper clippings that sort of confirm that Santa's not who he thought he was. And then he lies back down, deeply disappointed, faith lost, hope lost. And then when his parents think he's asleep, his mom and dad slip into his room and they kiss him on the forehead and his mom whispers one of the key lines in the whole movie. She says, it's the end of the magic. And they shut the door and that's when it happens. The whole room starts to rumble Light pierces the darkness. He hears the sound of a screeching halt of a train and he hears these noises outside and he goes to investigate. You coming? Where? Why, to the North Pole, of course! This is the Polar Express! The North Pole? I see. Hold this, please. Thank you. Is this you? Yeah. Well, it says here, no photo with the department store Santa this year. No letter to Santa. And you made your sister put out the milk and cookies. Mm -mm. Sounds to me like this is your crucial year. If I were you, I would think about climbing on board. Mm. One of the best. He says, well, you coming? 
And the little guy goes, where? To the North Pole, of course. This is the Polar Express. And, and, then, and then he sets some other stuff. And then that crucial line it says, and if I were you, I would think about climbing on board. And, and, and you hear this call all the time, don't you? You, you hear it from places like this, from, from church. You hear it from people like me, the pastor. You hear it from your moms and dads growing up that teach you to say your prayers from the time you're little. And they, and they teach you that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And then, of course, the church bus will come and pick you up and take you to Sunday school. And, and you're taught that good people believe in God. And the question is, is are you coming? If I were you, I would get on board. That's what we're taught growing up. But, but it's more than that, right? I, I believe that from the time we are really little, listen to me on this, follow me on this. I believe that the time from we're really, really little, there is something hardwired inside of us to believe. I don't think that this, um, this, this internal pressure to believe, this internal thought to believe in God is just from outside. I don't think it's just from the church. I don't think it's just from our parents. I don't think it's just from the Sunday school bus showing up. I think there's something internal within us that is hardwired to believe in God. Now, follow me on this. For every physical characteristic that is universal to a species, there must be in existence some sort of gene or, or genetical um, uh, force that, that causes that particular trait to exist. Now, let me, let me say it in plain English. Think about cats for a second. <clears throat> Think about cats. Every cat has whiskers. Doesn't matter the, the specific line of cat. They all have whiskers. From big to small, they all have whiskers. It's a universal trait to a cat. It's part of being in the feline camp family, right? And so that just would tell me that it's just not by coincidence that all the cats are born and go, whoa, look at that one. That one's got whiskers too. Whoa, look at that one. That one's got whiskers too. There's something hardwired, genetic within the cat species. It's, it's in their DNA. There's a chromosome that exists that says you got to have whiskers, now think about this in humanity as well. It works the same for us. There is something hardwired inside of humanity that puts a nose right about there on every single one of us. It's genetic. It, there's a, it's not random. It's just not sheer luck or coincidence that every single one of us is born with a nose roughly in the same spot that does roughly the same thing, right? There's something hardwired, genetic within us that makes us develop in that particular and specific way. And the same principle applies not only to universal physical traits, but also universal behavioral traits. I want you to think about this. Think about honeybees for a second. Bees that sting. Honeybees, right? Think about this. Everywhere on planet earth, doesn't matter where the honeybee colony is found, every single bee makes their beehive the exact same way. Same hexagonal pattern. It's, it's universal trait to all bees. Is that by coincidence that bees in Africa make it the same way the bees in America make it? No. Most of us, scientifically, logically, we would say, no, no, no. There must be something in the gene pool. There must be something genetic there that kind of pushes that behavioral trait upon them. It's, it's wired. It's hardwired intrinsically inside of them. Now, now, think about, it's not just them. It's, it's all sorts of behavioral patterns for animals and humans. Like, all moles bureau tunnels. They, they dig tunnels, all of them, every single one of them. If you're in the mole family, you dig a tunnel. You get out of your mama and you go, oh, I got to dig. And they start digging. It's, it's, it's hardwired inside of them, right? Um, think about cats again for a second. I don't even know why they exist, but, but, but they exist. And, and when you, and I've done this, you throw a cat up in the air, it has this unbelievable ability to find its way to the ground with feet down, right? All of them are hardwired to land on their feet, it's an amazing trait that they have. It's hardwired intrinsically within them. Think about the, the, the species we call humanity. Uh, all species, or all people from all points of the globe throughout all of human history, doesn't matter how remote a people group is, they develop this thing called the verbal language. All of them. So we would conclude, it's not just random, it's not just coincidence, we would conclude that there's something hardwired inside of humanity that will figure out how to what? Communicate, how to talk back and forth one to another. It's hardwired inside of us. And so, friends, follow me on this. Follow this logic a little bit. If it is true that we have a physical and behavioral hardwiring, I'm just asking a question. Could it also be true that we are hardwired spiritually as well? Could it be that those early inklings 
to believe in God did not just come from mom or dad or from society at large. Could it be that that wondering that you have about God is from God? It's hardwired deep in your soul. It's hardwired inside of humanity to ask questions about God. It's hardwired. Could it be possible that somewhere in your hardwire, in your genetic code, God has placed this desire to know him inside of you? You think about this, friends. Think about every known culture on planet Earth from the dawn of our species has maintained a belief in some form or another about spiritual realities, right? Uh, Wouldn't this suggest that humanity uh, has a spirituality hardwired inside of them? Every single people group have some sort of understanding that there is a God beyond them that there is a spiritual reality beyond them. How else will we explain that in every human culture, no matter how isolated, no matter um, rich or poor, black or white, no matter what place in the point of the globe, every single culture has had some sort of spiritual development within them. Every one of them. They've had places of worship where they can go and figure out how to play, pray to these spiritual beings. They've had ways of, of sending their dead into the afterlife. We would call that the soul into the eternity. They have these rituals that somehow prepare them for the next life. Every single culture, even in godless cultures, it's amazing, no matter where you go back in the point of the globe, even in godless cultures like, like you think of like a communist China or in the Muslim faith where they, they outlaw all forms of Christianity, how is it that you hear story after story after story after story of people saying that God has changed their life? Particularly, Jesus has changed their life. How is that, friends? I would humbly suggest to you that maybe there is a hard wiring inside of each of us toward this thing called belief. So maybe the conductor was right when he says, this is your crucial year. If I was you, I would think on, get, about getting on board. God has been speaking to some of you for a long time in your life. Somehow you've been dragged into a place like this even tonight. And you're not even sure where you stand with God. But, but he's calling for you. He's been speaking to you since the time you were little. It's wired somewhere down in your soul to believe. But like the boy in his dream, we, we hesitate to get on, boy, uh, on board. Uh, for some, it's, it's harder uh, to believe as we get older. I, I would admit that. For some, you know, when we're little, faith came real easy, but it, but it kind of is a struggle as we get more and more into adulthood, right? And, and, and we ask questions like, how do we know the train is for real? How do we know it's going to take me to where I really want to go? And where am I going to end up if I get on this train? But, and listen, I, I, your, tra- your questions aren't about a train. Your, tra- your questions are about God. How do I know he is real? It is normal to have those questions. Every single one of us in this room who's ever wrestled with this issue called faith has had the same doubts, has had the same questions. I would say to you, if you have not had doubts, if you have not had questions in your faith journey, then you're the oddball out. Then you're the odd guy out. I would say most of us have had those questions. And the questions are, God, are you real? And God, if you're real at all, why would you bother with me? God, what would I have anything to do with you? I'm so small and insignificant. Because if there's a God at all, you are clearly bigger and other than I am. And then others of us have wrestled, why would God love us knowing what we've done? Knowing who we are on the inside. Knowing our past, knowing our struggles, knowing our addictions. We would say, why would God at all care about us? That doesn't make any sense at all. Listen, friends, Jesus comes along. I want this to settle in your heart a little bit. Jesus comes along and he he says that God will meet you in your journey if you just step toward him, even if you don't fully believe, even if you've never seen him for yourself, even if you're not convinced. Listen to what he says. Listen to what he says in the book of John chapter 20. Listen very carefully. Jesus says this. He knows our doubts. He knows our unbelief. He knows our struggle to believe. And he says this. He says, blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe anyways. 
Blessed are you when you don't have the proof in the pudding. And yet you choose to walk toward him. And yet you choose to take steps toward him. And so this little boy, he gets on this train and he begins his journey. But right away, it just seems that he is plagued with doubts. And uh, I think one of the most important scenes in this entire movie is the scene where all the kids are loaded up on the train. They're heading toward the North Pole and they're going through this you know, little town and, and they pass this department store. And the department store has uh, a weird name. It's like, what is it? Uh, Heplishmers, something like that, department store. And, and there's like this scene depicted in the display window and it's called The Night Before Christmas and it's gorgeous and it's beautiful. And all the kids rush to that side of the train and their faces are up against the window and their breath is, is making the window fog up and they're looking and they're going, oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, I would love to have all that stuff. And, and so this scene depicts all of the stuff that these kids could have, right? And it just, you can just tell the kids are fired up about it. The kid who is like the know-it-all kid in the movie he starts yelling, look at that, it's so beautiful. And he says, I would like to have it all, all of it, right? But the star of the movie, the kid who doubts, who struggled to get on the train in the first place, it seems like he's the only one who notices that the Santa in the depiction is not Santa at all. But the Santa in the picture in this little window is a wind-up Santa with a big old wind-up rod sticking out of his back, performing on cue for the kids. And so doubt settles in even more. And it just seems as soon as this little guy gets started on his journey toward belief, he's reminded of his doubts. And isn't that exactly what happens to some of us? Listen, let's just be honest. There are people even in this room right here tonight who you have been in this world between belief and doubt. And, and you've taken some steps to move forward. You've come to this place, which is kind of crazy. And, and there are moments where you start to shake your head and you're listening to the messages and you're listening to the teaching of God's word and you're kind of going, huh, starting to make sense to me. And all of a sudden, there's something coming alive in your soul. There's something growing inside of you. And, and you're moving toward belief. And you've actually made some decisions to start to move in that direction. As a matter of fact, when they start singing those crazy songs, there have been times that you've caught yourself not just singing a melody, but singing a prayer. Because it matters to you now. There's something that's grown inside of you. And you're like on this journey for the first time. But listen, this is what happens to so many of us. When we get going in the right direction, when we start to come alive unto God, where, where we say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you a little bit. All of a sudden, boom, it happens. Something starts to crash in your life. And doubts quickly come back in. And you're going, God, I was trusting you. God, I was moving in your direction. God, I, I prayed a thousand prayers and you're nowhere around because all of a sudden your marriage is in the pits or your finances have totally tumbled or your health has crashed or your best friend has betrayed you or you were skipped over for a promotion and you were on your knees praying and you were like all church-like and you were like folding your hand and you're going, oh God, please. And you're like, God, I need you. But he was nowhere to be found, it seemed like. And so the doubts come crashing back in. And the presence of God that you felt in a place like this when we were all singing together, you no longer feel that. And you go, what gives? We want to believe, but come on, none of us wants to play the fool, right? We grew up believing in Santa, but well, we grew up. And we grew up believing in God, but well, we grew up. But maybe that's not the end of the story. Is this something I can do for you? I'm looking for a, a girl. <laughs> hey, we all! I have her ticket. Well, looky, looky here. Yeah. Well, this is uh, this is an official, authentic, genuine ticket to ride. Oh, you better keep this in a safe place, young man. If I was you, 
I keep all my valuables right here. Right here in the old size 13. Experience shows this is the safest place. Not that I have much use for those tickets. I ride for free. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hop aboard this Rattler anytime I feels like it. I own this train. It's like I'm the king of this train. Yeah, the king of the Polex. In fact, I am the king of the North Pole! Oh, where's my man? Sit, sit. Sit, sit, sit. Take a, take a look. Hey, would you like some Joe? Nice. Hot. Refreshment perfect for a cold winter's night. What exactly is your position on the big man? What a great line. He says, I want to believe. And then the guy ends by saying, seeing is believing, right? Uh, just before the doubter character, that bum character, notice uh, the boy holding the ticket. He, he says, I don't need no ticket. He says, I don't need no ticket. I ride for free. I am my own king. And, and friends, I want to go somewhere with this. Because maybe that is the core of our doubt of our disbelief. What exactly is your position with the big guy? You see, some of us think that we don't want to be bamboozled. I get that. We don't want to be conned or, or, or you know, duped in some way. We don't want to be led down some primrose path. None of us wants to be taken on a God ride only to end where we, where we don't want to be with, with that. I get all that. But, but friends, could it be that our position has far more to do with our belief than seeing. Here's what I mean by this. Um, could it be that we think that we don't need a ticket? Could it be that we think that we are our own king? Could it be that, that we think and, and we know somehow that if we follow this God, if we somehow trust this God, that we will lose control, that we will no longer be king of our life? Could it be that we have just enough faith to get on board the train, but not enough faith to trust that it'll take us where we think it's going to take us? Could it be that we have enough faith to believe in God, that he exists somewhere out there, but not enough faith to trust him with our very lives? Could it be, friends, that it's really a positional thing, that we are, we're afraid of losing control? The truth is, is that there's a real battle that lurks inside of each and every one of us. A battle not only to believe, but a battle also to trust. That you, You've come to understand, listen friends, this is so important. We've come to understand that things don't become real just because you believe. But you also know that if something is true, it will be true whether you believe it or not. And so the question that we face is, not only does God exist, but is he worth trusting with our lives? Because if he's real, then he is worth Trusting. Here's how the scripture says this idea about faith. Now listen carefully. It says, it says, faith, in the book of Hebrews, it says, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. 
right? And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You know, faith is, is believing that God exists and that he can be trusted and that he rewards those who earnestly seek after him. That's what faith is. That when we seek him, that we will find him. You see, everyone says this, seeing is believing, right? You've heard that before, seeing is believing. When it comes to this issue of faith, people go, I haven't seen God. Well, I was told growing up to believe nothing of what you hear and only half of what you see. Maybe there's some truth in that, right? Friends, to God, let me tell you how God views belief. To God, believing is not seeing. Believing is trusting. God says that if you trust him, your trust will be rewarded. And there will be a whole bunch of us in this room who I think could verify that we've come to this place where we've just given over our life and that there are rewards in that. There's a peace in that. There's a joy in that that we can't explain that seems a little bit odd to the outside world. But we know it's true that our seeking of him has been rewarded. Amen? Anybody? Now... There is this moment in the scriptures where, and it's only a moment because that's really all it was. It was a very strange moment where, where Jesus is entering this city. He's entering the city of Capernaum. And this fellow who is a centurion, he is a Roman official. A centurion is like a mid-level Roman soldier. He's, got, he's under the command of others and he commands people, right? At the same time. And, and so he's, Jesus is entering this town and, and this centurion comes and he pleads with Jesus. He says, Jesus, this is very strange. He says, speak the word and my servant will be healed. You know, I, he explains that his servant is, is dying and that he, he needs help in some way. But what's interesting is, is we learn that he doesn't want Jesus to come with him at all. Now, I don't know why that is exactly, because they, they meet, and he, he must have heard about Jesus, he must have known about Jesus, because he, he's relying on Jesus to do something. He wants Jesus to do something, right? You follow the story? So check this out. So he comes, and he says, Jesus, he explains this whole situation to Jesus, and Jesus says, I will come and heal your servant. But he goes, no, I don't want you to come and heal my servant. Now, I don't know if he saw Jesus, and Jesus looked tired, worn out and was thinking it was too much of a burden on Jesus. I don't know if he was busy and had stuff to do and didn't have time for all that. Maybe this was just a moment where they were passing and he was just hoping to hear something from Jesus. I don't know. Maybe he didn't want Jesus to come because he knew who Jesus was and he knew who he was. You see, Jesus had been talking about forgiving your enemies and loving those who persecute you. And this Roman official understood that he made his living from crushing Rome's enemies. So maybe he felt a little bit hypocritical. I don't really know. But Jesus says, I will come. And he says, no, 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 no. You're not coming to my house. I'm not even worthy of that. And this is what he says. Listen very carefully. He says, no, 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 you're not coming. But just say the word. Just speak the word, Jesus. Listen, but just speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. And that one, come, and he comes. And I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And what's he saying, friends? He goes, I know how this whole system works. I don't need to see it to believe it. I understand authority. I understand how how this whole deal works. And friends, could it be that you haven't ever really seen Christ made real to you because you're going, show me the proof. You're afraid of biblical belief, who Jesus says sometimes believe in is not seeing. But you're going, no, 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 I need to see some God action in my life. Like I need a little water, water to wine action. I need a little like walk on water action. I need God to do a little mumbo jumbo for me. Then I'll believe. Could it be that the problem is that you think that God's got to impress you? And that's keeping you, even though you have this gnawing, this intrinsic desire to know him, even though it's rattling around in you, maybe you're keeping him at bay because somehow you think that God has to do something to impress you. It's interesting though, but Jesus comes along and he says, blessed are those who do not see and yet they believe. And he was talking to people like you and me who were never gonna walk the streets with him, who would come thousands of years later who would only have this gnawing in our heart and the truth of scripture to reveal it to us. And he was saying, blessed are you, even though you don't see it all, even though it's not fully clear to you, and yet you still take steps toward him. And then he turns to this 
Roman centurion, this pagan man. And he says this, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. And then he says what faith looks like. This is what what belief looks like. Faith is believing without seeing, and this man believes it. And I love this because Jesus responds to this man. He says, then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Listen, friends, God still rewards those who earnestly seek him. He still rewards those who earnestly seek him. Listen, there might be a whole bunch of us in this room who say, you know, I feel like there's a God. I feel like he's out there somewhere, but I just haven't seen it for myself. I'm just not fully convinced. Friends, maybe it will never become real to you until you at least take a step toward him. Maybe it will never become fully real to you unless somehow you get on board and let him take you where you think you cannot go on your own to move toward him. Letting your heart be opened up to his move in your life. Just a little bit more. God says that he will earnestly reward those who earnestly seek him. Listen, friends, some things don't become real just because you believe it, but some things become more alive when you do. Check this out. Watch your step. Watch your step. It's like you're walking up here. It's mighty slick. Mighty slick, I tell you. What? There you go. What did I tell you? Years ago, on my first Christmas Eve run, I was up on the roof making my rounds when I slipped on the ice myself. I reached out for a hand iron, but it broke off. I slid and fell. And yet, I did not fall off this train. Someone saved you? Or something. An angel? Maybe. Wait. Wait. Well, what did he look like? Did you see him? No, sir. But sometimes seeing is believing. And sometimes the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Man, what a great scene. Does that not describe faith perfectly? He, he says sometimes, the, the conductor says, sometimes seeing is believing, but sometimes... The most real things in the world are things that we cannot see. Let me ask you, friends, what things can you not see and yet you cannot deny? There are things that you cannot see and yet you cannot deny it. Things like, it comes easy, doesn't it? Things like love. You can't see love. You can't see hope. But you you can't deny that they're real either, or they're not real, right? You know it when you see it, even though you can't. See it. Devotion, commitment. You can't, you can't see those things, and yet you know that they're real. You can't package them up and sell them on eBay. But you know that they're real, even though you can't see them. When I was uh, younger, or when my kids were younger, um, all of my kids, we used to do this little thing with them, and it's kind of fun, and I'm sure maybe you've done stuff like this too with your kids. But for, for me, I would, uh, I would say... Um, especially with Maddie. Uh, there's something about your... I only have one girl, and there's just something about having a girl. And, and so I'd go... How much does your daddy love you? And how much do you love your daddy? And you know what? I would go, do you love him this much? Or this much? And she would, you know, three, four, five years old, she'd just smile as big as can be. And she'd go, I love him this much. How do you quantify that? How do you put a price tag on that? You, 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 you can't measure love, but it is undeniable. It is the realest thing in our life. Some things we cannot see, but we still believe in them, right? Is it true? Uh, apparently, this conductor was right. The most real things in our life are things that we cannot measure, touch, touch, taste, or feel. And, and friends, if we accept the reality of attributes like love and hope and commitment and desire, and those sorts of things. If we accept these invisible attributes, are we really that far from accepting the reality of an invisible God and a living Savior that has come to earth some 2,000 years ago? Are we really that far off if we can accept these other unseen things? Are we really that far off from accepting an unseen God? Because you feel it. Because you know it somewhere deep inside your soul. 
that he's calling to you. All of us, listen, friends, all of us in one way or another, I don't even know where you're at spiritually, but all of us in one way or another live by this thing called faith. You trust something with your life. You put your life's hope into something, whether it's your money, your career, your jobs, your friends. You, you exercise a measure of faith. Every single one of us does. And some of us trust these things that we can touch, but others of us trust this thing called courage inside of us. Some of us trust this thing called desire inside of us, this thing called commitment inside of us. But others of us in this room, we exercise this same faith muscle to trust in God, to trust in the Christ of Christmas. And those of us who do trust in the God of the Bible, listen, friends, through Jesus Christ, we have our reasons for doing that. We have learned that some things that are intangible in life are stronger than things that are, that are tangible. Some things that are not able to touch or to see are actually stronger in our life than things that we can see and trust. We've learned this. Amen? Anybody? We've learned this about ourselves. And we learn that we need a rock stronger in our life than our parents. We need a rock stronger in our life than our friends or even our spouse or our children. We need something bigger and stronger than that. We need this relationship with God. We've learned this about ourselves. We know that we need a savior more than a good job, more than a good bank account, more than a master's degree, more than we even need friends. We need a savior. We've learned this about ourselves. Yeah, and all through this movie, there is this like bell that rings. It's like the Christmas bell, right? And when you have the Christmas spirit, right? This belief in Santa in the movie, a bell goes off and there's this little ding. And those who have this faith in the movie, they get it. They, they look around and there's like this secret code and they're like, I heard it too. You know what I mean? And it's like they're on the in crowd. But those on the outside, they don't hear it at all. They, they miss it all together. And friends, uh, for those of us who, who have come to this place of belief in God through Jesus Christ, we understand this. And there are people outside in the world who look at us and they just say, you're weird. I don't get that. And listen, here's the truth. I've had very well-meaning, very good friends over the years come to me, especially early on in this journey at Metro, who would come to me and say, Jeremy, you are plumb crazy for leaving a career in development to go do church work. You're, you're crazy. They would look at me and they'd go, you're crazy for leaving the money and the prestige of building homes and subdivisions, all that, just to go pursue being some church worker somewhere. And they would mean well. But friends, they could not explain what was going on in my soul because the call of God was so real on my life. It was, it was tangible. I could feel it. I couldn't show it. I couldn't go like, here it is, measure it. But it was completely undeniable in my soul. And, and there is this verse of scripture. And, I'm, and, and friends, if, if you're far from God and you're kind of feeling this draw to God, but you're kind of going, I'm not sure. This is kind of weird. I don't get this. The Bible says... This is true, that you're not going to get it at first. You're going to have to move in steps toward this. But here's what it ultimately says in the book of 1 Corinthians, writing to a bunch of people who are struggling with belief early on in their lives. He says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who, uh, of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's going to come a moment, listen, if you step toward him, that which is unseen will become more alive to you than you've ever even believed possible. But you have to step toward him. Check out this last scene we're going to show. It's incredible.
that is more like it. What in the name of Mike? love for you to go home and watch this movie. But I want you to watch it from a different perspective, that it's a parable to our faith. See, all the way through uh, this movie, they're, they're, they're trying to hold on to this ticket. Because somewhere along the way, the conductor always comes and says, show me your tickets, please. Every one of you, show me your ticket. And let me, let me just tell you something. And uh, this isn't an easy thing to stand up in front of people and say. But ultimately, there will come a day where God says, show me your ticket. And I know it sounds cliche, and I know it sounds churchy, and I know it sounds simple. But there will come a point in all of our lives where we take our last breath, and we stand before the God of eternity. And we're going to be asked to give an account of our very lives. We're going to be asked for the ticket into eternity to be with him and and here's what's going to happen this is a very sad thing most people that I've ever known are going to go oh God I got my ticket right here and you know what that ticket's going to look like they're going to say oh my ticket is all of my goodness all the good things I'm a good and decent person you see because most people really do believe that at the end of their life, if there's a God at all, if there's an eternity at all, if there's an afterlife at all, that they will have been good enough to deserve to go there. Because they look around and they go, oh man, I'm certainly better than most of the other schmucks I know. And somehow we think that we're good enough, that that is our ticket to ride. But God's word very plainly says there is no one who is good enough. No one at all. Not you. Not me. But God, I'm good. I'm decent. I'm not perfect. I'm not a saint, but I am good and decent. Yeah, you are good and decent in that way. But put up against a holy and righteous God who's perfect? Let's just be honest, like, if they let me into heaven without something to cover up all my sin, it ain't going to be heaven anymore. 
I'll, I'll personally ruin heaven for the rest of y'all who are perfect. Because we want heaven and we understand that heaven is something different than we have here, right? We get that. It's something different than we have here. It requires something more than we can muster here. Well, the Bible says very plainly, it says that it requires this thing called faith. Where we put our hope and our trust solely in Christ. You see, because there is no one who is good. No, not even one. And I think you know this. I know my own blackness of soul. I know my own sin. And I think you would admit your sin as well. I mean, really, if if everything was laid bare and we were to pull like the facade away that we kind of present to the world around us, I think we would admit our greed and our selfishness, our lust, our pride, our arrogance. I think most of us would admit that we have gossiped and we've lied and we've deceived and we've lived immorally. We've hurt others, not just by mistake, but on purpose. I think most of us at the end of the day would admit our sin before God if push comes to shove. Well, the the story of Christmas is that you can't get to heaven on your own and I can't get to heaven on my own. But God, he chooses to do something on our behalf. He looks at our sin, he looks at my sin and he says, that has to be made right. It has to be justified. But I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to give you the ticket. He sends his son, Jesus, where the righteous dies for the unrighteous. Where, where, the, where the, the sinless dies for the sinful. It doesn't make any sense. But God says, I will justify it. I will make it right. I want to punish the sin. And listen, we want a God who punishes sin, don't we? We don't want a God who overlooks junk in this world. We don't want a God who goes, ah, it's all good and fine. Do you want a God like that? If you want a God like that, there's something wrong, deeply wrong. Most of us want a God who will make all things right again, who will be just and fair. And so God looks at your sin, he looks at my sin and goes, ah, you're decent, but you ain't perfect. And he goes, I want, this is crazy. He goes, I want to punish the sin, but I'm going to forgive the sinner. You with me on this? And then he says, then he says, and here's your ticket. For all who call on the name of Jesus will be saved. All, every single one of us. Well, you don't even know, Jay, how like screwed up I am. I, I can guess. <laughs> but God knows. And he still says, if you call on him, if you trust him, this isn't like, hey, I'm kind of hoping Santa's real. But this is like, I'm trusting him to get on the train and he's going to take me somewhere where I cannot take myself. And he says, if you call on me, I will come and rescue you. I will come and save you. I will come and deliver you and take you places that you never even dreamed on your own that you could go. I'll put my spirit inside of you. But you have to give up and let me lead. You have to give up and let me conduct. You have to follow and trust me. You have to earnestly seek me with your life. Not just this like, I'm going to pray a little prayer and it's all going to be good and fine. I don't think God cares about our little good, nice prayers like that. I just don't. What he wants to see is my life being put solely in his hands. Saying, you are my only hope. You are my ticket to ride. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We don't do this a lot. um, But I'm just going to ask you to to just bow your head. And uh, just in the sacredness of this moment sacredness of this season I'm going to invite you to to consider your relationship with the big man like it says in that movie 
at with God? I mean, I know you're in church and all that, and that's cool. But where are you with God? You're still trying to control it all and do it on your own, and hopefully at the end of the day, you're good enough? Seems like a lousy plan to me. He offers us grace. So, Father, we come and we just bow before you. Uh, and, I, and I realize, God, that there are so many different walks. And I know there are some who really believe and there are some who really don't believe. And there are some in between and there are some who are not sure and some who are just getting sure. And I know that there's all these stages. Um, but, God, you are merciful and you are loving and you are good to forgive us. So would your spirit just fall in this place? Would your spirit just speak a word into the hearts and minds of each and every man and and woman and child in this place? Close to you, far from you, would your spirit speak into our hearts? And so maybe there's some in this room who um, you're ready to say that I, uh, I need a deeper walk with God. You're ready to say, God, I, I've tried kind of on my own and I think I'm a good person, but there is a hole that is intrinsically placed inside of me that I cannot fill any other way. And I am ready to accept your grace, your mercy toward me. I want you to come and take up residence inside of me. So so maybe you're ready to admit your need for a Savior. Maybe you're ready to say, God, I cannot do this on my own. And and I'm just going to pray a little prayer. And if that's you, maybe you can just pray along. But I want to lead you toward God. Maybe there's some in this room, you've kind of done this before, but you're kind of wayward or you don't like, you're just not sure. Maybe you just need to take another step toward him and take these words and let them guide you. And and maybe there's some in this room who you're not ready to believe yet. You're not ready. I get it. You're just not ready. But maybe you could even use these words to take you one step closer. Maybe you would open your heart just enough, just a little bit, where you might hear from him tonight. So you might want to say something like this, God, um, I, I sense that there is at least something inside of me that's stirring, uh, that, that's making me realize a need for more, for different in my life. Um, so would you speak to me? I can't see you, but I want to believe. Would you speak to me? Help me to go another step closer to you. Help me to take a risk, to move, to journey towards you. And for some in this room, that's as far as you're going to go, but others are going to say something like this. God, I am ready to trust you. I'm tired of religion. I'm tired of playing games. I'm tired of knowing about you instead of knowing you. And God, I want you in my life I admit my sinfulness I admit my need to to be forgiven and God I'm asking that you would forgive me please forgive me God and God direct me maybe some of you are here and you just need to say God I've done that I I believe I am forgiven but I need, to, I need to be directed by you. I need, I need to trust you with my whole life. Maybe you would just say, God, I need to trust you more. So God, I do trust you. I want to get to know you. I'm tired of living in the wrong direction. But I want to move towards you. So please, God, turn me around. Change my heart. Change my direction. So Jesus, over this place, may your spirit speak. No matter where we're from or where we're at or where we're even going right now. May your spirit speak into our lives. Now, friends, for those of you who 
might be wrestling with a significant decision like this. Maybe you're saying, okay, I'm there. I just need someone to talk to. I want to pray with someone. Uh, maybe for you, you're just saying, I just need a little bit more. Uh, I would invite you as like, we're going to leave kind of quietly. Brandon's going to keep playing for a moment. I'm going to say amen. And you have a choice to turn and walk out of this room, which is cool. And that's where, that's where some of you are at. That's fine. But others of you, maybe even one of you, I don't know. You're going to say, I need to pray more about this. I need to think more about this. I have some questions more about this. Um, well, I would invite you to come not out the back of the room, but come forward and go to my left, to your right. And I'll have some friends there who would love to pray with you and to meet with you, who want to do business with God with you. So Jesus, we pray that uh, this would be a wonderful Christmas for everybody. God, we pray that somehow we would um, be able to be your light this Christmas season. And God, may you shine brightly on us. God, bring us back for Christmas Eve celebrations as we remember your birthday. You came into the world to save a sinner like me. And I love you, God, for that. I'm so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.